welcome to the 10th and proudly first independently self-produced episode of the Women in CX podcast, a series dedicated to real talk conversations between women and customer experience. Listen in as we share our career stories, relive the moments that shaped us and voice our opinions as loudly as we like about all manner of CX subjects. I'll be your host, Claire Musket, and in today's episode, we'll be talking about one woman's journey from graduate assistant to taking on the mantle of commercial analysis and customer value management at one of the world's leading airlines. Let me introduce you to today's inspiring guest. During her 27 years at British Airways, she held various commercial roles, including leading the Know Me program, where she pioneered technology that supported making better data-led decisions about customers and their experience and is now founder and director of her own limited company, Centiobi. Please welcome to the show, CX sister, Jo Boswell. Hi, Jo. Hi, Claire. How are you? I'm awesome. Welcome to the Women in CX podcast. Thank you for having me. Really delighted to be here. And welcome to all the listeners too. So, Jo, you've had an absolutely fascinating career journey, spanning 27 years with British Airways. Yeah, I know. I couldn't believe uh, it ended up being quite that long. I certainly didn't intend to stay that long when I joined. Uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing more about your career journey today. And also, um, we're going to be tackling the challenge of proving the value of customer experience. And especially one of the biggest challenges that we hear CX is talking about, particularly on LinkedIn, is proving that return on investment. Does that all sound good? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> So let's kick off then. Um, if you could tell us a little bit about how you started out and what you learned about yourself in those early days at BA. Yeah, so um, I joined British Airways on a graduate training scheme. And actually, my, my very first role was as a check-in agent, uh, which was a great place to learn about the airline and to learn about customer service and some of the challenges around um, delivering great customer service. Um, and in those days, um, you wouldn't believe the old fashioned tech that you had to learn as a check-in agent, you know, to, to check somebody in. So um, it's a really important lesson actually um, in kind of removing those uh, points of friction, even for employees to enable them to, to deliver great service. But then my second role um, in, on the grad program was uh, a job that I called the Bob job and that was um, a newly created role at the time as an assistant to the director of marketing and operations and his name was bob ailing he subsequently went on to become the bob job. quite famous as a ceo but but i was offered the bob job and uh, there was no jd and it was quite daunting because there was no one to learn from and to a degree, everybody around me was a lot more senior. So it was quite difficult even to, to figure out who I could even ask, you know, if I was uncertain about something. And really, I feel that actually that role was probably quite a defining point in my career because I had to learn to be reasonably pushy um, because for, in order for the job to work for me, I needed to ensure that I was getting into Shadow Bob in, in some meetings and getting to see how he was running the business. Um, but equally, I had to um, find ways that I could add value for him um, and 
you know, I had to spend quite a bit of time, for instance, with his PA, really working through, you know, what his diary looked like for the week and spotting those opportunities um, where I could step in and maybe, um, you know, do some some preparation, you know, write some notes, brief him for a meeting, um, or even identifying um, forthcoming speeches that he had and then going away and sort of researching and, and you know, starting to, to draft those things for him. Um, so it was it was a really interesting sort of early lesson in shaping something, but um, to, to find a way to add value both to the business, but also to ensure that I was learning as well. Um, but by the same token, because... Um, I was working alongside all of these really senior people who were a little bit suspicious of me because they knew I was his assistant and he was the big boss, you know. So I had to kind of strike that delicate balance of helping him, but also ensuring that I earned the, the trust of his direct reports as well. Mm. Um, so it was, a, it was kind of an interesting political situation. Um, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, it was, um, yeah, it was a great, it was a great learning experience. You know, I got to see, um, you know, the, the great, well, subsequently at the time he was Sir Colin Marshall, was subsequently Lord Marshall. Um, I, you know, got to see him at close quarters in action and he was just a fantastic leader. He had such a human side to him. Um, and, and that was really great to see. And I also had some great um, experiences. So I remember, you know, I was in my mid-20s and I accompanied Bob on a, a business trip to the US. And because of um, the schedule and, and timing, we got to fly over on Concorde. <gasps> oh, my goodness. Can you imagine, you know? So there was me trying to be super cool. Um, and um, acting like, you know, it was an everyday occurrence for me <laughs> to travel on Concord. I was just so excited. Uh, and yet I was sitting next to the big boss, you know, try, trying to kind of keep it all in check. And um, and the lovely thing is actually, and it shows his human side, is he went around the aircraft chatting to all of the crew and so on. And then when he came back to... Um, to my seat, he said, um, I've arranged for you to, to sit in the flight deck for landing at JFK. Wow. <laughs> Which was just lovely because he had, he obviously he did realize just how super exciting that was for me. And that was an experience I'll never forget. Wow, that's awesome. You're the first person I've ever met that actually has been on a Concorde. So, <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, it, was a, it was a beautiful aircraft Concorde. I was so sad that it had to retire. So, so we're talking about 30 years ago, pretty much in the early 90s. And mm. as a young woman, I'm assuming that a lot of those executive roles were filled by guys. Were there many women at the time? Uh, there were some, yeah, there were some women um, in senior roles at the time. So um, Val Gooding, who subsequently went on to become um, the chief executive of Booper, mm. she was actually in charge of cabin crew at the time. So there were some, there were some good role models. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it, yes, it was, it was interesting and it was great to learn um, from, from those people. Um, and I think um, certainly at an early stage in my career, um, you know, I felt, I mean, BA was quite a diverse, had quite a diverse management team. And, um, and I really felt that, um, you know, women were supported and, you know, you had every opportunity to learn and develop. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but I still, you know, there, there are times in my career when I realize the that that men sometimes react in a very different way to women um, than they do to men who are perhaps behaving in the same way. So an example of that was when I was in sales and um, I was working for uh, a male manager. There were seven of us in the team, four women who were all very feisty and quite challenging of, of the manager, but in a good way, you know, all wanting to, to kind of improve things and, you know, find ways to, to make what we were doing better and succeed. And as a result, that manager nicknamed us the four horsewomen of the apocalypse. <laughs> and, and I think he thought we would take it as an insult, but we actually, we wore it as our badge of honour. We were so proud <laughs> of, uh, of the fact that he, he felt we were so challenging that we had to have that nickname. And, that, and those, those other three are actually still really good friends to this day. So, um, yeah, I, I had an opportunity to be able to, you know, watch senior women um, and, and learn from them, but also, you know, learn an awful lot from some of my female colleagues that, um, you know, I've worked closely with mm. over the years. Mm, it's lovely to hear that you still ride with the four horsewomen of the apocalypse now and again. <laughs> <laughs> we, we still laugh about that anecdote. And also, I, I can remember one time, uh, I think when he was trying to encourage us all to hold our nerve and not give away too many deep discounts, and uh, use the phrase "keep your knees together." Oh, it's just so inappropriate. <laughs> but yeah, it, it gave us quite a few things to laugh about. Oh, that, that is hilarious. <laughs> um, just picking up on something that you said there about the behaviour of women being perceived differently because we are women. So, for example, women who are assertive getting labelled as bossy or aggressive when, if the same behaviour was coming out of a guy there would not have been any kind of negative comment made mm. about that. Or yeah. if, um, if men show emotion, it's praised because they're empathetic, yeah. whereas women are labelled as emotional. And, yes, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just really fascinating to kind of reflect on that point of gender, even in really inclusive companies, still yeah. occasionally surfacing itself as, as an issue in being treated differently, albeit not with negative intention or anything malicious, but it's still um, it's still to this day, thirty years on, in many of the conversations I have with women, is a similar similar circumstance. But I love the fact that you know something that was said it to you in fun, um, the four horse women of the apocalypse, you, you <laughs> framed it as your own. <laughs> totally. <laughs> that 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 is really really cool. Um, so leading on from that story, can you tell us a little bit more about how you ended up getting into these really commercial and data orientated roles, but still put the customer at the heart of how you were driving such a hard edge um, within well, I, so I think the commercial side came because my career progressed through a variety of different commercial roles. And, um, you know, at an early stage, as I said, I was in, you know, as I was in the sales team. And so I've always um, been, you know, very comfortable in those roles where, you know, figures are very much, you know, the, the kind of cent central piece of it. Um, but by the same token, you know, I started my career in check-in. So, um, you know, customer service and the ability to, 
you know, really delight customers and um, resolve problems, you know, in a, in a way that can turn a negative into experience into a really great experience has been, you know, really um, important parts throughout my career. So, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting, really. I don't think I ever had um, a particularly well thought out career plan. I was quite opportunistic. Mm. Uh, with some of the roles, you know, I knew I, I had a, had an idea of how I wanted my career to progress, but I I was opportunistic with um, you know certain things that came my way that might not even have been roles that existed, you know, the sort of twelve months beforehand, and and I seized those, you know, to take the opportunity to kind of prove that I could take a project and you know, um, carve it out and, you know, find the value. So um, I did that in a number of um, different um, commercial environments. And then I found myself, um, that would have been in, yeah, the early 2000s, um, leading the pricing activities for the UK market. And along with that, the team that did all of the commercial analytics um, for the UK market. And that expanded then to um, supporting the commercial um, the, the commercial decision making for the whole airline, including um, needing to forecast the revenue for you know the entire passenger revenue, nine billion pounds of turnover for for the airline. And the irony was that actually when I was at school, I thought I wasn't very good at maths. No way. <laughs> And all of a sudden, I found myself <laughs> managing a, a team of analysts, <laughs> you know, um, like these, you know, super, super bright people, all, at, you know, really, really smart, you know, able to code and, you know, use use Excel in ways that I, you know, I could only dream of. Um, but uh, what I did realize is actually I, I've got a very analytical kind of mind. So, um and uh, yeah, I, I, I sort of forged this um, this name for myself really as being, you know, quite a numbers woman. Um, and I would be reporting to to the board um, and to the leadership team on on the revenue outlook and so on. Um, but I've you know, I've always had at the, at the same time a keen interest in customer experience and wanting to, you know, to make the experience better and the opportunity came along um, after a few years when I'd been looking after customer data. So I'd sort of inherited um, the responsibility along with my um, commercial sort of analytics responsibilities. I, I was looking after customer data. And what I realized is that um, actually the airline was sitting on a gold mine that hadn't been looked after. It was like, you know, one of our most important corporate assets had been neglected for quite a few years and you know the, the data was in a bit of a mess the definitions weren't consistent and so you know the data didn't tie up from one system to another which is you know familiar kind of a familiar uh, problem that you tend to find you know um with with cx projects and um and i had i was just identifying kind of some little quick wins that we could do that you know, in using um, some of our operational data and service data, actually, we could have um, smarter um, conversations between the account managers, the salespeople, and some of our corporate clients, for instance. Um, so, you know, identifying 
how good the punctuality had been for a certain corporate client and you know identifying whether or not there were any ma major service issues and that absolutely transformed the conversation from being one about just you know how many sectors they'd flown and what kind of revenue they were generating to being a much more holistic conversation that was about the service levels that BA was delivering um, to, to that organization. Um, and so I think after, you know, I'd been bleating on for um, probably a whole year to my boss at the time as the, um, uh, the chief commercial officer to say, you know, we really need to be investing in doing something much more intelligent and smarter uh, with our customer data. Um, eventually my bluff was called and he said, right, you know, off you go, set up a program um, and, you know, see what you can do with this. Um, so, you know, kind of coming, I suppose, coming full circle from that Bob job um, in the early days, you know, once again, I found myself with that blank sheet of paper mm. and I needed to um, get the right resources, you know, start to attract a team to, to come and work with me um, to see how we could use our data in a way that could really create value both for our customers um, but also ultimately add, add value to the business. Um, and yeah, I can remember those early months. It was super tough because BA at the time had just acquired British Midland, um, you know, the other major uh, UK carrier, domestic carrier. And um, so there were, you know, everybody, all the resources that I was trying to get hold of, they had all um, rushed off to work on that new integration project. And I was sort of, you know, running around trying to find people who would be prepared to um, come and work with me and, you know, help me um, deliver uh, the, the Nomi program, as we as we called it. Um, but uh, yeah, eventually I found some some brave people who were who were willing to to come and work with me, take a chance on on that initiative. Mm -hmm. I brought in uh, a little bit of external help as well, and. Um, you know, we just set about in, in the early days um, doing a bit of test and learn, really, um, you know, and, and just creating a, um, you know, some tangible proof points around, you know, if we start to work with our data in smarter ways, you know, demonstrating to the business the value that could have and also the the reaction that our customers would have to it. Mm, yeah, and I can only praise you for being able to balance that so well I frequently talk about finding that sweet spot between doing things that are great for customers and that's the the genesis of it using data to identify what those things are um, but also demonstrating simultaneously the commercial benefit that can be driven through creating a better experience um, I think you'll agree that it's seems to be one of the biggest problems that the CX industry is facing like I can't go even one day without seeing a post talking about how do I prove return on investment of CX how do I get my the board on board with you know the the ideas that I have um yeah and I'm always always replying you know my you know this my advice to it but I have to just bring up something that I read on your LinkedIn which is a real rarity, I think, um, to be said of anyone in, in CX. And this was from the CFO at British Airways, um, who oversaw all the capital investments at BA. And he said about you, 
Jo was very impressive in the way she led the significant programme, including presenting a compelling vision for how BA could transform customer experience using data and technology, which was apparently one of the best board presentations he's ever seen. <laughs> Bringing strong business cases, breaking the investment into bite-sized chunks, reporting back on tangible business benefits at each stage, adopting an excellent stakeholder engagement approach to ensure the leadership team were bought in and aware of progress, successfully navigating the politics of the organization <laughs> to deliver a truly cross-functional transformation program that touched almost every part of the business like that to me is probably <laughs> like the greatest thing that could ever be said about a cx leader right yeah Working within an organization um from particularly a commercial department and being able to drive customer employee and business value in a way that resonates with the c-suite because you're talking on their terms yeah it's brilliant and for me i think it's something that we have to really embrace as a development need for many of the professionals in our industry because yeah not many of them came out of commercial yeah like we did <laughs> or, or very big commercial organizations where if we didn't talk like that and we didn't create those cases no one would have paid as the time of day um yeah but, absolutely but especially where cx practice is evolving um and growing and in a lot of countries that will be listening today they're facing that stakeholder engagement at a senior level as the biggest barrier to doing anything at all so I said a lot then, but my question <laughs> in response to, um, to to that was, what is it about your model that you could share that enables you to have such incredibly powerful conversations that get stakeholder buy-in? What would your advice be to women in yeah. CX out there wanting to sharpen up their commercial thinking? Well, I think... Um... It is really important if you're embarking on on a program that is likely to require, you know, some significant investment. It's important to give confidence um, to your senior stakeholders or, or to the board by identifying what those quick wins could be. Now, at BA, I actually quite deliberately chose um, some um, some commercial areas to demonstrate those quick wins. And, you know, in terms of um, the difference that that made actually to the end-to-end -end customer experience, it was probably negligible in terms of, if you like, improvement in inverted commas um, to customer experience, because we were looking at how we could use the data to personalize our marketing communications. And that was all around just making them more engaging, working out, you know, which destinations to talk to different customers about, whether to be talking about premium premium cabins or non-premium cabins or holidays or just flights only and so on. And we were able to demonstrate a huge uplift by tailoring um, the, you know, the, in effect, the propositions that we were talking about. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but yeah. you used the data to direct the offer, which... yes ultimately will ensure a better experience because you're having the right conversations with the right people at the right time, which gives them absolutely. what they absolutely. need and drives revenue, win-win. Absolutely, but yeah, absolutely. But by, by the same token, you know, at the time, I could probably have pointed to a lot of um, points of friction in the end-to-end -end customer experience that we could have sorted out, but we deliberately chose 
not to start with that because we wanted to create the revenue the revenue upside um and and we were able to create some really stunning results and you know it was um i mean the the kind of technology that we had to implement in order to achieve that was was a, a huge challenge because in effect we were going from mass marketing emails you know one size fits all to a virtual one for one um you know sort of uh, rendering of an email um and and literally sort of choosing the four destinations to talk to you know that customer about um but um yeah it gave us the results that we needed that provided us with much needed air cover uh we did we did also choose um a kind of in-journey in-person experience um to to test as well and um that that was starting with um finding little moments of recognition in the customer sort of lifetime journey that could be celebrated um, face to face. So for instance, if somebody um, achieved that next tier in the frequent flyer program, we would ask a member of cabin crew to, to go up to them, you know, and, and just have a little conversation on board and, and sort of thank, thank the customer and Recognize. congratulate them on, on, on reaching that next tier. And, um, the interesting thing with that is that we were able to observe a complete halo effect across the whole journey um, from just from that one little recognition point. And again, that was through the data. So that was monitoring, you know, those customers um, where the message had been delivered versus customers of a similar ilk who, who hadn't received the message. And, um, and amazingly, we saw that um, just that little bit of recognition, whether or not they could even recall it, um, kind of provided this halo effect in terms of um, the, the net promoter score for that journey. Um, so, so we had that, you know, those two, you know, one kind of really, really commercial um, and, and one with um, a sort of link to the commercial outcome because, you know, we were, we, we had done some work at BA to, to equate um, sort of points improvement in net promoter score to, um, to a monetary value. And, and that was, a, a, you know, accepted thinking um, that had sort of passed the, the test of the uh, most rigorous finance, uh, finance directors at the time. So um, both of those things really helped. And, you know, all, all the way through, I would say to the board, you know, here's my business case. This is how I'm going to invest the money for this next phase. This is what you'll get at the end of it. And these are the these are the results I'll bring back to you. And, you know, I gave them the confidence, even though I knew that the, the program would be a multi-year program, um, they had the confidence to know that, you know, if 12 months down down the line, I wasn't delivering those results, they, they could stop it. Mm. Um, and you know they weren't, um, you know they weren't effectively um, committing to you know investing right. four or five year program. But it was, you know, in effect, I'll come back to you with the with the results, what we've done, how we've invested the money, um, what that's delivered. And interestingly, it wasn't. I think I think it was about eighteen months in when they started to challenge me on why we weren't doing the kind of improvement in customer experience elements you know that's great though isn't it? <laughs> which was the which was the bit I'd always wanted, wanted to, to get to that's, that's great though isn't it because what you've demonstrated there is 
not asking for the permission to do that you demonstrated so much value it gave you credibility to the point where they started asking you for it <laughs> if you talk about influence I think that's a really clear strength of yours and it's shining through so, so my final question is just what advice would you give to other women in CX on their path to becoming more commercial or sharpening up that angle what would you say they should be yeah doing yeah that's um that's a good thought actually because I think um you know it is important to get yourself comfortable with the numbers and um what those can do for the bottom line so certainly when I work with clients today one of the first questions that I will ask is you know what metrics does this business run on mm you know, and what are the customer metrics that are going to um, add value to the bottom line? So whether, you know, what what's the value of one extra customer retained or, you know, what's the value of one additional product sold to an existing customer? And it's, you know, it's sort of really, um, I think if, if you're leading um, a CX program, it's really important to think about what are the, the dials that you can shift with this program that are the metrics that your organization runs on? And every organization is slightly different, but you've, you've got to really tune into um, what, those, what those metrics are and be comfortable. And, you know, if, if there isn't a very clear link between what you're doing and what those metrics are, then you will always struggle. So you've got to try and find a way of creating that link, I think. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's about surrounding yourself with the right skills. You know, if that's not your skill set, then go and find it and make sure that you've got, you know, you've got an ally sitting alongside you. And, and certainly when I was running the Nomi program, you know, I always wanted to have the finance team absolutely inside the tent um, and understanding what we were doing and kind of you know making even though they didn't report directly into me I would kind of make them an inclusive part of the team um, because the better they understood what we were trying to do um, the better they were then able um, to support us and help us navigate our way through you know the the, the business case hurdles and and so on you know writing the post investment appraisals um so you know i always think um it's it's really wise to get really close to your your finance manager and um you know they're not there to just challenge you and stop things you know they they're, they're there for a reason you've got to kind of tap into their mindset um and and also help them understand what what you're trying to do yeah i think that is such a important point in listing the help of finance people if it isn't your forte I know yeah for me that was a huge turning point one of the biggest projects I have ever delivered in Sainsbury's days I could say we had a four million pound return on investment that was because I had someone in the team working with me who was absolutely bang on with generating the numbers but as yeah. I said I had to get really comfortable with the numbers and talking about the numbers and change yeah. my language to be much more number centric than I naturally 
gravitate yeah. towards because in CX yeah. we're all about emotion but sometimes you have to interpret that right into the language that needs absolutely to be used yeah. for your audience and also just picking up on the point you said you know the metrics are going to be different for every organization yeah if you're not all over trying to drive those metrics no one's yeah. going to listen to you and, and I think my only build to that would be you should be questioning if you're doing something that isn't laddering up to absolutely yeah um, yeah so yes, yeah, so that was like so awesome to talk to you today. Um, it was so great to hear your story. I found it personally really inspiring to hear about so many successes that you can actually put a price tag on. Um, it's yeah. great to see a woman in CX who is so credible and distinguished and proven and has CFOs raving about her in her <laughs> profile. Um, I think what I really took from this conversation is you've always been about value, whether it was adding mm. job, job days, creating it in the roles where you use data to bring value to customers and to the business at the same time, or even now, you know, as you've crafted this into a model that you're using with your clients today, um, it is really, really inspirational. And I think very forward thinking, and we need more of it in this industry. So uh, my only ask for you, Joe, would be how can you make an online course? <laughs> well, <laughs> you've given me an idea there. Yeah, maybe that's my little niche. Yeah, um, <laughs> the numbers girl. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd love to build something like that with you for the women in CX community, perhaps a module yeah. that could help um, women to capture some of that magic that you've clearly got in spades and see if we can <laughs> so thank you so much for coming on the show today oh thank you for inviting me it's been it's been a real pleasure great chat and um actually it was great just to have the opportunity to reflect a little bit on on my career because it's something we don't do very often is it no especially not the moments <laughs> that shaped us um they're always yeah. to think about and thank you for sharing them with me Hope to hear, see you all next week. And uh, yeah, thanks so much, Joe. Take care. <laughs> Bye. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> thanks for listening to the Women in CX podcast with me, Claire Musket. If you enjoyed the show, please drop us a like, subscribe, or leave a review on whichever platform you're listening or watching on. And if you want to know more, please join us at Women in CX community and follow the Women in CX page on LinkedIn. Tune in again next week to hear Gavin James talking about making the difficult decision to put herself and her values first. See you all next week.